Movies entertain. Entertainment leads to emotions. Those emotions connect us to our enjoyment of film. And that is why we exist. To focus on the emotional connection more than the technical merit. Because every movie makes us feel something. Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 140 of the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm Patch, and with me as always is my best friend and co-host Aaron. Hello! 2018 is rapidly coming to a close, and with it comes what has to be my most anticipated movie of the year. The tease started about this time last year, and then the movie seemed to drop off the radar, for obvious reasons, until about a month ago. Well, my hype level has not dropped off, and spoiler alert, it did not disappoint. So, with that being said, let's get into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I definitely heard what you did there. Oh, yeah. No, that was good. That was we're good. in. We're into it. So this is your official spoiler warning. Go see the movie, then go see it again, okay? And then come back and listen to our conversation, and then go see it a third time, because you're going to want to. I want to, and I haven't even seen it a second time, and I already want to see it a third time. This is how excited I am about it. All right. Enough from me. Aaron, why don't you kick us off with a one-word takeaway? All right, I would love to. Well, I decided on the word fresh. So I walked into, uh, well, I walked into Out of the Spider-Verse. See, I told you this was going to be a bad night, Patrick. I, I've been I've been talking incorrectly. You, wa- you walked into the Spider-Verse. Yeah, I've, I just apologize, listeners, right off the bat, because I've been saying words backwards for the last couple of hours, and I don't know what's wrong with me. I don't know. Maybe it has something to do with some sort of quantum time manipulation or something. I think you're from a different Earth right now. I, I, I might be. You're Aaron Five or something. <laughs> Aaron <laughs> Ham. All right. I uh, I walked out of Into the Spider Verse though amazed, honestly, and really it was because of how unique of an entry this is into the comic book movie genre, as far as I'm concerned. After seeing it, the rest of 2018's big anime slash animated options largely felt really safe to me and routine by comparison specifically something like incredibles 2 which i thoroughly enjoyed and also ralph breaks the internet um when i walked out of this i you could just tell that something was different and it was a a a new level to the storytelling that was taking place i loved it um and you know those are very good stories as well but spider-verse to me provided the same kind of great narrative, but also added a unique new super cool animation style that is unlike anything we've ever seen before. And so it's this freshness in its visual style and its ability to take the superhero genre another step forward, um, also including an awesomely diverse cast along the way, that elevated it for me and made it pretty darn memorable. In fact, I gotta say, it's more than just a ton of fun, and it is definitely my favorite animated film of the year. It's a leap forward, I think, in a lot of ways for not only animated storytelling, but storytelling in general. And I love that you use the word fresh because it's definitely a word that I would use to sum it up, but it's not the word that I chose. And my word really took its cues from Patrick Willem. I was reading through some of his tweets uh, a couple of days after I'd seen the movie, and he used a word that I was trying to get my head around, like, what is this? What is this that I'm feeling? And the word that he used, and I'm going to steal it from him, is alive. And to me, I think that is how I felt 
watching this movie. I got to see it in 3D, um, which would not make it any worse to see or not. It's, I mean, it's great regardless. And I think I'd like to see it in 2D just to see kind of how my experience varied. But watching this movie, I wasn't watching it. I was experiencing it. And I was completely immersed not only in the story, but also the visuals that were helping me kind of get through this. Um, I remember leaving the theater thinking it was like I was inside the comic book, jumping from like frame to frame with all these characters. And you and I, we've been comic book people off and on uh, since our you know, friendship started. And we, you understand that. You understand what it's like to read panels and to see big full page splashes. I remember coming to visit you in Seattle and we were reading the Batman number five, or I think that's what it was. And it had this really crazy sequence where you had to turn the comic book upside down because it helped kind of accent the craziness that was actually going on in the story. Well, this is what I felt like. I felt like I was just running through the streets of New York, but running panel to panel. I, I knew that I wasn't in this real world, which wasn't a real world. It was an animated world, but it was like I was being sold that I was in a comic book. And so there's so much energy, there's so much color that's popping off of the screen. I really walked out feeling that I would experienced this amazing thrill ride at Six Flags or something, but was ready to get right back in line for that second helping or maybe even a third helping if I go see it again. Had it not been for a late night and work the next day, I'm pretty confident that I would have probably tried to get back in, although I think it was the last feature of the night. So maybe hmm. I could have bribed the, the theater to say, hey, come on, I, I'm on a podcast. I will promote you guys if you just let me sit in for a couple more hours. So yeah, alive was the word of choice for me. It's a great word, and I I love that you just said the color popping off the screen because when I did my uh, quick 30-second Stardust reaction, that's an app where I do little 30-second uh, video reviews after I see a film coming straight out of the theater, so it's, it's like this really strong immediate reaction. I use that exact word. I said it was popping because that's how it felt. It's, it's like it's coming directly at you. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever seen – maybe commercials for the game uh, Splatoon. It's this Nintendo game where they use paint and they shoot paint all over the screen. It's just gorgeous because it's just these different colors of paint flying around. And it felt like that. You know, it's just so many different colors, um, so much energy, like you said, and excitement going on. Um, the lines and the way the animation is drawn, it feels like you're inside of it. And, yeah. you know, it's it's awesome. And it's a unique experience because we don't get that from comic book movies. I mean, when you think about a comic book movie, most of the time we're talking live action unless it's the DC animated series. But even that feels more like a just an animated narrative. We don't ever feel like we're actually in the pages of a book. And reading a comic book is very, very different than reading, let's say, a novel. I mean, you have pictures that are driving the story on the majority as opposed to words. I mean, words will accent it, but then you have like onomatopoeia. There's one particular sequence when Peter B. Parker is, is typing on the keyboard. He's hacking the, hacking the computer and you see in the screen, clickety, 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 clickety. You see the words popping up and I'm laughing going, Hey, he's saying clickety. Yeah, it's really, it's clickety because that's what you do. I mean, you're, that's what happens on the keyboards unless it's a, a Mac keyboard. And then it's like, you know, that would be what it was. So, you know, he's on a PC at that point. But I digress. I wanted to first talk a little bit about my expectations going in, because I remember seeing this. It wasn't 
before seeing The Greatest Showman. It wasn't a trailer for that. I don't remember actually what it was, but I remember watching it and going, whoa, 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 what is this? And it was a teaser. It was a lot like the teaser for Lego Batman about six to eight months before it came out, where you had Will Arnett coming out and saying something hilarious as Batman. I'm like, what? what is this movie? And I remember thinking, Spider-Verse. Oh my gosh, are they going to actually make that Spider-Verse event into a movie? That's going to be insane. Because I read the comic book. I read the actual event series. I collected the, um, I didn't have the floppies at the time. I actually collected the, the hardcover so I could read the whole thing in its entirety. Because the thing is about almost 300 pages in its entirety when you combine all the different main story and the, and the tie-ins. It's a big story. And the one thing that I noticed going in was that the narrative is actually different. There is a significant deviation from the original source material. It's actually a loose combination of Spider-Verse, the event that took place a few years ago, and Brian Bendis's five-issue miniseries called Spider-Man, where at the time, Peter Parker from the Marvel Universe crossed over into what was then called the Ultimate Universe, where Miles Morales was the then current Spider-Man. And so watching this, I hadn't read those books in a while, so I didn't have a clear kind of indication of what the main plot was, but I significantly, I remember significantly that this did not happen or that didn't happen. And it kind of got me worried for a minute because I was like, oh my gosh, is this going to be one of those kind of, hey, we're going to call it Spider-Verse, but we're going to do something different. Well, it turns out, yep, yeah, it's exactly what they did, but it was for the better because Spider-Verse is complicated. Mm-hmm. We're, ta- we're talking close to 50 spider people. I guess you could call them spider spider men, spider, spider people. I guess some of them are people. men. Some of them are women. Yeah. Some of them are animals, Pig, pigs. Yeah. And I was really, really, really satisfied because that would have been a train wreck for me. And with that many spider people and that m- complex of a story, I was really glad that the adaptation simplified the story because you would have lost me from the very beginning. And I think that when you experience a movie like Spider-Verse, you can only take so much in the hour and 45 minutes that they give you and give you some room to breathe. And I think if you combined all that stuff then you would have probably lost a lot of your audience. I completely agree, and I'm that guy. I'm that audience, and you know this. Our listeners probably don't know this, but you know, I specifically decided I was going to read Spider-Verse before this came out. That was what I had planned on doing, and I started it, and I got an episode or an issue rather or two into it. And I was like, Patrick, what is going on? I'm losing my mind here. I can't follow this. And I was disappointed because I was really intrigued by it. And I loved the concept and the idea, but even just trying to get through those opening issues and understanding the science of what was going on, it was really complex. And I didn't have the patience at the time. I still don't to get through it. And so I bailed and I was nervous. I was really nervous going into this film because I thought, man, how are they going to pull this off? (laughs) Like if they, like you said, if they stick to that story, it's going to confuse me potentially again. And it's going to confuse audiences and it won't matter how good the animation is or what else is there because nobody's going to understand what the heck happened. So I was really, really pleasantly surprised. 
to find out that it was condensed and I don't even want, I hate to use the word dumbed down, but it was simplified for the audience so that yeah. kids and adults alike could understand this high concept sci-fi idea of multiple universes and totally get it. Like mm-hmm. I, I didn't have a question at all about why this was happening. Didn't have a question at all about motivations for villains and why this collider existed. Mm-hmm. It all seamlessly worked within the narrative um, without being forced and without being confusing. And, and that's right. brilliant, brilliant writing. Right. And so what you get is actually the essence of what Spider-Verse and Spider-Man tried to bring out to an audience. When when Spider-Verse was announced before it actually released as as it's as the event, I remember thinking one thing, dude, I get to see so many Spider-Man on one page fighting. I didn't care how they got there. I was just excited to see all these iterations of Spider-Man and really a tribute to the history of the character. You get that in the movie. You also get a love of Peter Parker as Spider-Man, Miles Morales as Spider-Man, Spider-Gwen as Spider-Man. And you're getting this very meta introduction into the history of the Spider-Verse. Each tale, when it's started, always begins with, you've heard this story before. That's telling your audience, you know what we're going to tell you. And I love that the it's a way that the creative team says look we're not going to just tell you the same old thing we're going to get we're going to bypass this because we're going to get to the stuff that you're really interested in you're interested in seeing all these different spider people right we know you are and it brings in the comic fans it brings in the fans of spider-man the historical fans of spider-man and it also gives us an opportunity to really explore something outside of this domination known as the mcu I mean, we're, we're 10 years into this thing. You are spearheading this road to end game in our Facebook group, which is fantastic. I've queued up the Hulk to, uh, to watch after our show tonight so I can stay with it. And there's a reason why. There's a reason why we're doing that. It's because all this stuff matters leading up to end game. Yes, you don't have to necessarily watch these movies, but it definitely helps. Spider-Verse has created an opportunity to enjoy a character, arguably the most popular character in Marvel Comics outside of the MCU. I mean, when Spider-Man, Tom Holland Spider-Man, got to come over and basically be borrowed from Sony to be a part of this big thing that we are experiencing now in the road to Endgame, we were ecstatic because we were like, yes, you cannot have the MCU without Spider-Man. I mean, you can, obviously, and you did, but it definitely enhanced it. And by the way, I just love that relationship that Disney and, and Sony have. That it's just it's it's the best of both worlds and it's better for everybody that's contributing to it. It it really is. And you're absolutely right. I my first thought when I came out of this was one of really just a hope that this would be where Sony decides to take this character and this world going forward. In an, my best dreams, Patrick, they would completely ditch the idea of a Venom sequel live action, and they would throw all efforts behind Phil Lord and his team, and they would create an animated version of the MCU that lives inside this type of world. And I mean, yeah. it will be different, obviously. 
it's not going to be, I hate to even say version of the MCU because I know that probably triggers things in people's heads, like the way it should go and the characters that should be in it. But I just mean an interconnected universe with sequels that are standalones, but still have an overarching tie together. Things like that. Like, dude, I want to see Venom. I want to see freaking Venom, the character, come into this world badly. Like, that would be awesome. And it, you made a comparison early to, like, Batman you were talking about. Well, this movie, for me, the the closest comparison I could get to is Lego Batman. Shocker. Because, look, same creative team here. But that's what that did for me. It took a character that I love so much, and it gave me a fresh new version of that character. It poked fun at so much of that character's history that I, as a fan have gotten to experience and have a deep, you know, care about, or I've laughed about, I've cried about. I got to experience that through a new story that had value as well. I got to see it all in this new universe and new way and all these characters in Lego form. It's the same concept here of you're seeing these characters for the first time in this new animation style. And it's, it's mind blowing. And I really do hope that Sony will kind of be blown away by the success of this and realize, man, the people want this. So yeah. even if yeah. it's just to make money, I don't care what their reasoning is behind it. Do it. I fully recognize that this is a franchise at work. I, I have no problems with that. But the thing is, this opening narrative, this opening story could be one of many just self-contained stories within what I would probably call the MAU, the Marvel animated universe, where you start creating now, Obviously, this being the Sony property, Sony's kind of in the minority here, so they'd have to borrow a lot of characters from Marvel in order to kind of flesh this out, which is kind of why I like the fact that it is sort of contained. Because Spider-Man as a character has a lot of history, a lot of things going for him and his his world in terms of being able to explore stuff. I mean, Spider-Verse quite literally opens the doors for so many one-off stories in that particular universe. When Spider-Verse ended, that's when Spider-Gwen was launched. That's when, I be, I don't know if Spider-Noir was launched, but there were a handful of other single series comic books that were launched as a result of the MCU, So, in a, or as a result of Spider-Verse. And I think it was partly Marvel's doing to say, hey, you know what? Let's test the waters. Let's see what our fans of Spider-Man gravitate towards in terms of these different characters that pop in. Because again, again, there were close to 50 Spider-Men in this event series, and you were almost asking your fans to pick and choose what they liked the best. Obviously, Spider-Gwen stood out, and she became a, a, a character that got her own series. But there's always opportunities for others. Spider-Man 2099. You got Venom out there. You've got so many other iterations of Spider-Man from even as recently as two or three years ago that could come into this world and spin off their own. I mean, Nick Cage, come on. Nick Cage as Spider-Noir needs his own movie, in my opinion. I would love to see a whole movie based on that. I hope so. You know, it's part of what I also was worried about going into this, and it's it's the one thing that would still give me a little bit of nerves going forward is that – can these fun iterations of Spider-Man hold enough weight as individuals? Can they, sure. can their stories be different enough, unique enough that they stand alone and are worthy of helming their own film, so to speak, you know? Right. And, and I don't, 
I don't know that I got the vibe that that was possible. Gwyn, yes. Um, and, and I trust the team and I trust that it can be done. I just think it's a very, it's a very touchy proposition. Sure. Um, and and it, some of them are not meant to. Spider-Ham is not meant to, I don't think. I mean, right. he's comic relief. He's dropping, you know, animated anvils on people's heads. Sure. He's there for us to laugh at. And that's why all of our kids, that's what they want to talk about is Spider-Ham. They all love him because he's mm-hmm. a joke. But we don't need a full movie of Spider-Ham. But Spider-Gwen, I could see. Yeah. And I don't know if you picked this up, by the way, since you mentioned Spider-Man 2099. I didn't know who these people were, by the way, Patrick. Like, some of these characters, I never got that far. So I was like, okay, what? Who? <laughs> he's voiced by oscar isaac yeah did you know is. that yeah so well, i didn't I know it you, at the time but yeah, yeah i didn't know it either but you want to you want a precursor right there of of something that's coming you don't make oscar isaac voice miguel in new york or new nuevo york or whatever it's called <laughs> in freaking 2099 unless you intend to have him do something more than a post-credit scene sure yeah absolutely and i think that at the very least you're giving your fans an opportunity to, just like in the comic, choose what they want. I mean, I, I think Lord and his team are looking at the message boards and they're, one, going, wow, we did something pretty amazing, guys. You should give yourself a lot of credit. And they should. But I think they're also looking and they're seeing, who do they like? Who's interesting? Who gets the most laughs? What can we build a story behind? And I absolutely agree. I don't, I don't see Spider-Ham getting his own feature. Maybe a cartoon or something like that, or maybe a maybe a short. That'd be kind of fun. Have a little short. Oh, all for uh, that. Absolutely. That'd be great. But really, I think one thing that makes Lord and his team a huge asset to not only the animated world, but in general, just the world of of movie making is their ability to connect characters and give real value to relationships. They're hilarious writers, but they're also very much aware that stories need more than just laughs. Laughs need to accent what a, a story brings to the table. One of the biggest heartbreaks of my of my world in terms of movies came about a year ago when I found out that they were initially pegged to do the, the Flash movie, the Flash standalone, and then they backed out. And I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, what's happening? Among the many other problems that the Flash has had in getting itself going, these guys being attached to it and then having to kind of scale back and say, no, they're not, just makes my heart miss a few beats you know oh, what i'm saying the irony that it's been a slow process to get the flash off the ground very much so very much so <laughs> but they these guys bring something to the table even in spider-verse and i'd like to just kind of point out that we have this really great set of villains something that look let's just let's just call apples apples the mcu is not known for its great villains in terms of having roundedness to them, very flat and probably by intent. But you have Fisk, Kingpin, who I think is probably one of the coolest villains in the Marvel Universe. Of course, he's attached to Daredevil most of the time. But having him along with Uncle Aaron, who I actually, I guess I was naive, it may have been late at night that I wasn't really thinking, but I did not see that coming, that he was going to end up being a villain but by the time for me i got to see these two characters get fleshed out the sympathy that i had for them had increased significantly they weren't just these one-offs fisk i knew i knew not about his history but i knew who he was and so i was like hey cool kingpin great but then you give him this weight of wanting to see his family again oh my gosh 
How about that pulling at your heartstrings? And then you see Uncle Aaron, who has tied himself to to Miles being sort of a surrogate older brother. I mean, he's an uncle, obviously, but I, I see him more as an older brother who's giving him filling in those gaps that at least for Miles, his dad doesn't seem to be able to fill in. And I, and I love the fact that we get to be able to connect with these guys before things start to unravel for them and they have to make these hard choices and eventually kind of turn into the, the villains that we either wanted or didn't want. Yeah, absolutely, man. So uh, as we've talked about before, plenty of times on films that we cover that are comic book related, generally speaking, it's sympathetic villains that elevate them to a place where the majority just can't get to. And that's okay. It's not always needed. I think we have to look at individual films. We can't have a checkbox system where it's like, this is how a film needs to go uh, in order for it to be a success. I've seen this all the time. I, you know, I'm going to save most of this for my Aquaman uh, episode with you in a couple weeks. But like having seen that movie, it's not Marvel and it's not what DC has put out thus far. And it's not the Dark Knight. But that doesn't mean it can't be equally as impressive because it's doing a different set of checkboxes. It's doing the right checkboxes. You know what I mean? It's doing what it wants to do at a high level. And I think a lot of times with Marvel, we get into that that cycle where we're like, okay, they all have to hit this, this, and this. And so most of the time, having a flat villain is not that bad. It's not necessarily the point of the story is not to focus on the villain. And that's okay. But we have seen some good ones lately. And so... I was very pleasantly surprised to be able to see that here because what it does for me is it allows me to buy into the character motivations more and by default, like I, I feel like there's a reason for me to want him to win, but a reason for me to question that. And it gives me a unique experience as I watch this villain. And I think, man, I wish I could see my family too if they were killed and they're dead, you know, and I have to live the rest of my life without them. This is something I might want to do too. I probably wouldn't murder people in order to get that to happen, but it is a reasonable expectation that people could get to that point. And I also was extremely pleased to not know this story and not know that Uncle Aaron was who he was. I did not catch this maybe i'm slow whatever but i didn't know uncle aaron was is it the prowler is that his name i think so yeah. something like that 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 yeah. was like a little bit of a like i don't know i think he had a name but it was he just used it a couple times the anyway i didn't know who he was until he literally literally revealed himself it took me that long to to catch it and it was a gut punch for me because of the relationship that i saw on screen between Miles and Uncle Aaron. I love that relationship. I immediately gravitated toward it, not just because we share the best name in the world, but because he was a great character. And I was like, man, this is awesome. He's like a mentor. He's kind of like, he's not trying to get Miles to dislike his father. That was one of the pleasant things about this for me is clearly the two brothers have grown apart. Um, we, we see why one of them is a criminal and one of them is a cop, but there's no hatred necessarily for each other. And Aaron is legitimately just trying to help bring Miles up 
He's trying to raise him and teach him and train him. He's not doing so in, he's not trying to bring him into crime. He's trying to keep him free of it. You know what I mean? But he's trying to encourage his creative gifts and the things that Miles wants to explore that his dad is a little bit more reluctant about. And so their relationship was so powerful to me. And that's why I cared so much when I realized, man, this is real people's story. This, this happens to people every day in our world where they get caught up in this cycle of violence or of crime and they can't get out of it. And they feel like this is what they have to do. And their heart and their intentions are probably very honorable and they probably love their families very much, but they make these choices and they feel like they can't get free of them. And so, yeah, when you have a villain like that, it's a whole new kind of level of just immersion into that story and caring about those characters. I don't know if this was intentional, but I never felt once like Uncle Aaron and Miles' dad were ever pitted against each other. Like what I felt was the tension of disagreement where you have two individuals who chose different paths and let's leave the criminal aspect of it out of it. There was enough about uncle Aaron that was different outside of being a criminal. I mean, he lived his life by the seat of his pants. He was not very organized. He just kind of lived life vicariously, not vicariously, but he lived life very spontaneously. And of course that bled into a life of, of crime, but I'd never felt like they didn't love each other. I was reminded this morning uh, our pastor was teaching and he was saying, I have 11 brothers and sisters. And more often than not, especially during the holidays, when we get together, we're going to disagree right off the bat about any number of things. But at the end of the day, I genuinely love each and every one of them. And my heart would break if I lost any one of them. And having that in the back of my mind and thinking about what we we're going to be talking about tonight, I really felt like that kind of connection existed between Aaron and his brother that. They may have made different choices, but they never once indicated that they had a rift of like, I can't, I've never talked, I'll never talk to you again. I mean, I felt like, I almost felt like they had communication. Maybe it wasn't very much, but they still communicated with one another. And I think that kind of bled into Miles being very comfortable with escaping at night while he was living in the dorms to go see his uncle because he was going to take him out to you know, tag abandoned subway walls with his artwork. I love the fact that miles in his own way gets mentored by both of these individuals from their own in particular, from their own particular standpoints and that both of those guys help him become eventually who it is that he's meant to be as you know, the new Spider-Man. Yeah, and I don't know if this is intentional in the stories, and maybe from Spider-Verse, you can answer this from reading it, but I saw a connection, and I thought, well, Peter Parker had Uncle Ben, Uncle Ben dies, and it's sort of a this large motivation for Peter Parker going forward, and now, you know, Miles has his Uncle Aaron, and it's, you know, they're different characters, but in a lot of ways, they serve as the same sort of lingering family relationship that has been lost that that pushes these characters forward in some yeah. ways yeah i um, can maybe i'm just reading too much into it because they're both uncles possibly potentially I can admit that yeah i i can't speak for the comic i haven't read it in quite a while i don't remember that and it may have been part of 
Miles origin story and ultimate comics number one. Um, what I, what I noticed was that Aaron's death was impactful to miles, but it wasn't, it wasn't driven to revenge. Like the origin story of Peter Parker is that somebody killed his uncle and he initially sought revenge. I never saw that with miles. I saw him lead into more of a, Oh my gosh, I don't know what to do, which yeah, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a one for one because this is a criminal. I mean, this is a, this is a life that uncle Aaron chose for himself. So going after revenge is a little bit of a different scenario there. I think, I mean, yeah, he's killed, so you could go after it for that. Yeah, but yeah, yeah I did. Yeah, I don't. I don't see. I mean, yeah, it's 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 similar, and I think that's probably by design because we're talking about parallel universes. You have Peter Parker versus Peter B. Parker, <laughs> and you have all these different iterations of these similar stories. Which, from a storytelling standpoint, we've talked about this uh, before, where you have common story beats that exist. And I think the parallel universe idea sort of, it didn't make fun of, but I think it calls attention to the fact that stories really are more refreshed than created to be brand new. And you have to add specific elements to a story to give it that refreshing feel. Because this story, if I did enough research, I could probably find this story existing previously in other movies that weren't even related to the superhero genre and and that's okay because we're not meant to get new tales we're meant to get and enjoy refreshing tales and spider-verse really does deliver on that idea of being very refreshing it's going back to your uh to your one word takeaway so with the passing of stan lee i was curious if we would get the typical Stan Lee cameo. Um, I don't know. We did. So spoiler there. I don't know when this was filmed or when it was recorded. Obviously it was before he passed away, but I don't know if it's um, when at all, but I thought it was very fitting. And I, when I saw him and I, and I heard him talk, I kind of looked at the guys next to me. I actually got a chance to go with a couple of guys, a couple of friends of mine and I heard in the audience a little, mm, you know, like, oh, my gosh, somebody's heart's tugging a little bit. And and I smiled and I got a little emotional because I was like, wow, this is the first time we're seeing the Stanley cameo after, you know, the news of his uh, of his death. But he said something really interesting. It's after we lose Peter Parker in in Miles Universe and as part of the morning period and the tribute to to spider-man you got these kids coming in to the shop and they're buying these spider suits and he tells miles the suit quote always fits eventually encouraging the idea that anyone can be a superhero and then at the end of the film miles says anyone can wear the mask you can wear the mask and i hope you know that now so i wanted to discuss that was a great thing that you pulled out and i'm curious do you agree or disagree with that sentiment well first let me say that i had the same reaction in my audience with regards to stan lee um, there was a very noticeable noise that erupted very just a, a slow rumbling of sadness you could just feel kind of come out of the audience there briefly 
Um, everybody just kind of turned and looked at somebody next to them, probably wondering if that person was going to cry um, and if it was okay. <laughs> and what I found really powerful actually was Stan Lee's first words in his cameo are, I'm going to miss him. And I just thought, oh my gosh. And mm. and of course, he's talking about Peter Parker. Um, he's not talking about himself, <laughs> but it was really just this. Oh man, it was like this weird meta thing yeah. for him to say. Yeah, and I was like, "Gosh, that's that's moving and, and and touching when you when you think about him saying those words." But yeah, I did. I I thought a lot about this idea at the end of the film. This narration saying, "Anyone can wear the mask. You can wear the mask." And I hope you know that now. And I think it's putting forth the idea that anyone can be a superhero. Um, you know, we have this universe of Spider-Man that kind of speaks to that. It's all of, there's one in everywhere, you know, and we got to do a conversation about this online. And one thing that came up was the quote that Dash makes the son in Incredibles. And he says, if everyone is super, then no one is, or if anyone, everyone's incredible, then no one is. I can't remember the exact words of it, but that's essentially the opposite of this idea that everyone can be a superhero. If everyone is, then no one is. And I kind of agree on the side of the Incredibles with the, it's okay to have special people that do special things that others can't. And no, um, everyone can't wear the mask. And so I, I kind of take issue with this ending narration. And I'm wondering if you possibly can explain it to me in a way that I'm not digesting it correctly because when i hear it and he's just taking it word for word anyone can wear the mask you can wear the mask and i hope you know that now i i get the sense that he's speaking to the idea of bravery and the idea of determination um and just really focusing and setting out and accomplishing what it is you want to do you can put your mind to anything but guess what you weren't bitten by a radioactive spider, so you can't thwip your way across New York City and fight the freaking Kingpin or the Prowler. Uh, you can't survive a collider explosion because your body won't allow you to. And so, no, not everyone can wear the mask. And I, I guess... I mean, I don't think it's problematic in a cultural sense or anything. I don't think kids are going to go try to jump off buildings because Miles told them they can be a superhero. At least I hope not, because that would be really depressing and tragic. But for me, I guess I just have not bought into this idea that everyone can be a superhero. So I don't know that he's necessarily saying you can be a superhero. I think he's... I think two things are happening. One... I definitely can wear the mask. I'm going to take that phrase literally. I can definitely wear the mask. One of the things I loved about the movie was that the majority of the time, Miles Morales is wearing a really crappy spider suit. It doesn't fit. It's even though Stanley says it fits eventually. And then sometimes you outgrow it. That's what he should have said because that's what it is. I mean, it was way too small for him. So I think in part that quote is very much taken literally. And I know that sounds shallow, but the point I'm about to make is this. You're exactly right. I've never been bitten by a radioactive spider. In fact, if you look at most of the characters that become superheroes in the Marvel Universe, they are done by some crazy event that happens to them. 
you get bitten by a spider, you get exposed to gamma radiation, you get an arc reactor that you have to put in your heart, you know, supernatural things or bizarre things that happen to a person that transform them into something else. And yes, there are definitely exceptions to the rule. Contrast that with the DC, the world of DC, and the titular character Batman is... What's your superpower? I'm rich. Yeah, exactly. And which I think is why you have other characters that, um, you know, the Flash would probably be the closest that you get to when it taught when you think about characters that get exposed to something that make them more superhuman. But here's what I think Spider Verse does that is kind of quintessential for any Marvel comic. You overcome the barrier of your own humanity to embrace your superheroic power. And that's what Spider-Verse does. Spider-Verse wrestles with the idea that Miles doesn't think he can do it because Miles is just a high school kid going to a school and he's awkward. And the only thing that he's good at is mumbling words to hip hop songs and tagging things and being very artistic. Even when he gets those powers, he doesn't know how to use them. He struggles most of the time. He doesn't know. He has to literally take a leap of faith in order to figure out how to walk on walls and swing and do these things. I think one of the things that I didn't care for as much was the quickness by which he began to get his abilities. Like in terms of when he eventually put on the, the nice suit, you know, the what we get is the, the his official spider suit. All of a sudden he can like do all these things. And I'm like, well, OK. A leap of faith doesn't necessarily make you like awesome. Okay. So there needs to be a process after that for sure. But I think the movie does a really great job at expressing this idea that even if you have all this talent, if you don't know how to use it, if you don't have confidence in knowing how to use it and you don't just start trying to use it, it's just going to be wasted talent. It's going to be a wasted superpower, superpower. And so I think in a lot of ways that quote that it always fits eventually from Stan Lee. I think that that's kind of what it's hinting at, because by the end, he says, anyone can wear the mask, you can wear the mask. And I think that that's true. But I think it's a combination of being able to wear the mask by and, and that being a metaphor to essentially say, I am confident enough that I can put that mask on because I'm just going to embrace who it is that I am heroically or super heroically, whatever the case may be. Yeah, I you know, I can buy that. I can I can definitely buy that. And it you know, all of the other Spider-Men in this comic have something that has happened to them too. So I guess it's just to me a little bit of a weird thing to say when all of your characters in this film have something that has happened to them. And none of them are an every person, an everyday man, an everyday sure. woman. They're all they're all super in some way. Um, and so I, I guess it's a, it's a, it's a strange thing to try and a point to get across through characters that are not that thing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Almost feels like somebody who's rich is telling you, you can be rich too. Don't worry. Just work hard. Yeah. And you're like, you're already rich, dummy. Like, I'm not, I, no, it's not that simple. Um, and so there's a, a bit of a, it, it's tougher for me to swallow it, but I, I do like what you're saying there. And I, I think you're right. Um, I definitely agree with you. 
And the big concept that gets pulled from here is, is taking that leap of faith. It's, it's said probably more often than anything else in terms of the big themes. And I really, really enjoyed that concept of quite literally taking a leap of faith because that's kind of who Spider-Man is. He's a jumper and a swinger, but he's a jumper more than anything else. And it applies to both Miles' attempt to become a superhero and also Peter's marriage. Something very interesting that I gravitated towards in Spider-Verse I've been talking a lot about Home Alone because it's the holiday season and again giving some props to Patrick Willem for highlighting how great Home Alone actually is. I didn't realize it until, you know, watching his I guess his web video, whatever you call it. Um but one thing he says or calls attention to is is Kevin's conversation with the old man, the old neighbor in the church and how that conversation really motivates both of these guys to overcome some of their fears uh, with regards to their families. And I think the same kind of thing is echoed in the relationship between Miles and Peter, where Miles is trying to become a superhero. He wants to be a part of this team and he wants to contribute. He feels like he needs to because this is his world, dang it. And he's not glitching. Um, but at the same time, you've got this hinting, um, just this subtle thread throughout the movie that, you know what? Peter Parker. It's Peter Parker. Peter Parker is always going to be your original Spider-Man and you can't leave him out in the cold. And I love, love, love this thread of his trying to reconcile uh, with Mary Jane from his own world where the movie starts introducing him and it kind of makes fun of the fact that he's, you know, he's divorced and he's just kind of like this really bad, just washed up kind of guy. But by the end of the movie, we get that great shot of him standing in front of Mary Jane's door, taking that leap of faith to say, hey, I want to reconcile. And we don't get to see what the conversation is, but we can insinuate what what is said. So every movie affects everybody differently. And we say it all the time. It It is largely dependent upon your life circumstances at the time sure. of your viewing. If I watched this as a kid, I would be so all about Miles and Miles' story. But even though I didn't make it my connecting point, that last scene with Peter Parker and that thread that even it's, it's barely touched on, it's just a few moments that we get, a few little pieces, that was such a memorable thing for me. And it was the thing I cared about most in this entire movie was – and. Like I said, personal circumstances are what drives that. I am not going to pretend it's not, but I loved that. And I loved the idea of relating him trying to fix his marriage to a leap of faith. Because that's what it takes a lot of times when you have broken relationships of any kind. It doesn't have to be a marriage. It could be a friendship. It could be a work relationship. It could be a dating relationship. But when you're trying to fix a broken relationship, it it takes making steps when you're facing rejection and you're facing these fears, these very tangible, emotional, terrible feelings that could come upon you from putting yourself out there and being vulnerable, which is a difference. You know, Miles is kind of dealing with this more in a physical sense in a lot of ways where, you know, like he's putting his body out there and could be physically harmed. But the metaphor and the, the comparison here, it's, it's wonderful and the fact that they put those two threads together in this film is what made it special for me personally. I mean, above and beyond the animation, like that's what made it 
something that will stick with me beyond just, man, wow, ooh, wow, that looks good. Yeah, but we can't ignore the ooh, wow, ooh, wow, it looks good. And we've hit on this indirectly. I'm trademark that. Yeah, the ooh, wow, ooh, wow, it looks good. We'll put it on a T-shirt and say, feel this, right? <laughs> well, I think one thing that gravitates people towards this movie is the way it looks. You mentioned earlier just how different of a visual experience it is, even from the trailers. Um, I remember specifically seeing some of the um, the glitching that took place in the trailers and going, whoa, what's going on here? Oh, look at that. It's a, it's a static comic book panel. What's going to happen there? And I, I want to say the thing that I loved most about the animation was how purposeful it was and how it wasn't just there for stylistic purpose. It wasn't just there to look awesome, although that's definitely a byproduct of it. But I felt like the way in which the animation worked in specific scenes helped the story get amplified. When you had certain times when the there was an action sequence and you had three panels show up, three stills, like comic book panels, to kind of give it a little bit of breathing room of the action sequence to kind of let you absorb, okay, this is what's happening. Okay, he's jumping. Okay, now he's flipping. Okay, now he's swinging. Okay, that's great. I also enjoyed how specific the animation styles were among the different characters. So I'm going to call out Spider-Ham for an example. This movie, if you didn't already know, is animated, okay? But even within the animation itself, the way in which he was drawn, incredibly flat like a an animated character should like an animated cartoon should among the already animated universe that he's living in was so significantly different it completely vaulted him as being oh yeah even among this animation world he's different he's different from these other ones because he's a cartoon and he's a different kind of cartoon and it really made the animation itself feel more not photorealistic but more tangible more grounded in a sense of the the visual stylings and i thought that was so thoughtful to incorporate him in that way and i believe i forget her name but the the anime character was the same way come on man penny parker sorry i was so excited to learn her name and i was so excited that she was in this film i could not i, I loved being introduced to her I was like, we have an anime character. But yes, you're right. That's what made me fall in love with her right off the bat. Because I was like, I love anime. And she's drawn like an anime character, not like the rest of the animation. So yeah, I, I, I too noticed that and the difference in the animation style of the different characters. And noir as well. I mean, he's, you know, he's all shadowy and mm -hmm. he's obviously black and white. And it's very striking to see them as a group. And that's part of what makes it so intriguing is because, you know, not only are they different personality wise, they come from different eras, they come from different animation styles. And visually, you get to see that right away without right. before you even get to meet them. Right. And, and there were six total characters in this movie. And knowing what I know about the the comic series, this was obviously a very truncated cast from the original 50. And. I wanted to ask, what did you think of the cast? Do you feel like they all fit pretty well into this narrative? Did any any of them 
stand out positively or negatively to you? So I have one quick negative thing to say about the animation. Okay. And it may just be me personally. And, and I hate to, sorry, I shouldn't use the word negative. One little bit of a minor nitpick with it. Early on in the film, and I'd say I'd say this only really was noticeable for me, maybe the first 30 minutes or so, the lines in the hand-drawn animation, to me, looked almost like there was a blur to them. And for a little while, I actually found myself wondering, am I watching a 3D version of this movie without 3D glasses? And is something going wrong? It distracted me. Mm-hmm. It distracted me a bit. And it was a bummer. And it, as time went on, the animation became a little bit more visually like striking and the action picked up and it was less noticeable. But that was a tad bit hard to adjust to at first. Sure. Um, and it was why I have told people, like, I would love to go see this in 3D and kind of find out what the difference is. Did you have any kind of blurring in your line? So is that something that it's supposed to look like? Um, well, I saw it in 3D. And yeah, there were about three or four instances where I would be watching the screen and I would look in my peripheral in the background and the lines would be blurred as if I was supposed to be seeing something in 3D. I think it's by design and E-Man in his um, spoiler-free uh, review of the movie, that was one of his negatives too. But I I agree with what he said that because the characters in the foreground were in focus, there must have he says there must have been some purpose behind it. And I don't know what that purpose was, but it wasn't enough to distract me in not enjoying the film. It was just like a, hey, that's weird. Right. And that's why I say minor. And I think that I think it was intentional because more people have seen that. And I again, looking at the characters in the foreground and seeing how crisp and clear they were, I think it's meant to maybe at the very least create that sense of depth of field in a creative way. This may have been one of those cases where the, where the animators were getting a little too cute, a little bit overthinking their, their conceptual, like depth of field a little too much. But, um, but yeah, I did notice that. Well, my last comment on the animation is a positive one. And that's that when the animated dialogue boxes started popping up, that's one of my favorite things. Um, you know, I think that's really when I started to notice the panel to panel walking that you you talked about because I saw it too where it felt like we were moving and flowing throughout a comic book um, and that's what made this just kind of oh gosh it, it's just such a visual treat yeah. to watch this movie yeah. uh, but I loved that I loved watching the dialogue pop up um, you know seeing seeing what they were thinking in those boxes and such and that was a great little addition to the world yeah. Um, it's having fun in that universe and mm-hmm. something you don't get with live action. You can't get that. Otherwise, nope. it just comes across as annoying or just completely out of out of place. And, and I think that that speaks to the advantage that animation has when you're telling a comic book story. You have that kind of freedom to get even crazier with some of your effects and some of your action sequences that CGI can be very hit or miss. Yeah. Um, in, in a live action. Yeah, that's um, why the DC universe as well. I mean, their animated universe has been lauded for a long time for that purposes while their, you know, live action is not. Yeah. Uh, but they're able to do different things uh, right. within them for sure. But right. y- you would ask me about the voice cast and I, uh, well, are the characters? Yeah. So I absolutely adored 
every single one of the voice cast. Um, didn't know who they all were in the moment. Had to look some of them up. But once I found out who they were, I thought they fit perfectly. Um, I was just even more impressed <laughs> with the way that they were able to kind of disappear within their characters. Nick Cage, of course, um, the moment that he comes on screen, I leaned over to somebody and was like, is that freaking Nicolas Cage as Spider-Noir? Because I did not know that was coming. And wow, that was awesome. I love that he doesn't have a lot of speaking lines, though, because I think it would be a distraction and I think it would take away from the narrative where he's just a side character in this world. Like you said, if you want to give Spider-Noir his own movie, I'm, I'm there opening night. Don't get me wrong. But I don't need him to be stealing the show in Miles Morales' movie, and right. he doesn't. He, he's there. He says just enough. Um, I think that it's really tough to give them all something to do that's meaningful, like I said earlier, where I, I applaud the filmmakers and the, the writers because they did give them some depth, um, just enough, really, to, to let it, to let them feel like they had a purpose. You know, we learn a little bit about, there's a great scene where they are collectively telling Peter, um, that, it's okay. You can't save everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's something that they've all jointly experienced is this sensation of not being successful. And you can see it written all over them. And we get to learn some of their backstories. I mean, Gwen's, of course, is very interesting. Um, the difference in like how she became Gwen and how she was raised and the parallels there with Miles and her Peter Parker. Parker. So I, I loved that they have more to them. And I was kind of I was, it was torn because I, I, I simultaneously wanted to know about their backstories, but also completely understood that I didn't really need to in this movie. So overall, it worked out great because it made me want the announced sequels that I already know are coming. So we already know that there's an all girl one coming and, uh, potentially another sequel or spinoff to the Spider-Verse film, which we would imagine probably includes that, um, Spider-Man 2099 character. And I, wholeheartedly loved the cast enough that I want to explore them in further material. Yeah. I'm envisioning, and this is just me spitballing. So if it happens, then mark it on your calendars folks, because this is when we predicted it, but I'm envisioning the spider verse being the word that comes before a colon. And then you have individual stories in the same manner that we have, or had these Star Wars anthology films, you know, a Star Wars story. I think we're going to get potentially, depending on the success of this and then the upcoming all female Spider Verse movie, we're going to get more of these as an opportunity for different directors to have that sandbox to play in. And I think that's a fantastic opportunity because now we have other, we have one, we have opportunities for. Spider-Gwen's going to probably be headlining this all-female Spider-Man animated feature. And I would imagine that we're going to get, hopefully, Spider-Man Noir. Or not Spider-Man Noir, but uh, Steampunk Spider-Man, which is also a, a female. And she was pretty awesome in the event. But I'm envisioning that we're going to have, depending on the success of each precursor movie we're going to continue to get these anthology movies that are spun out of Spider-Verse because yes, this was about Miles Morales, but it was equally about introducing us to 
the opportunity for more stories of other Spider-Men that we've never gotten to see on the big screen. And it gives us an opportunity to maybe look back, print, you know, and of course this was played for comic relief, but when Spider-Man 2099 goes back into the 1962 <laughs> cartoon show at that famous panel where the two Spider-Men are pointing the at meme. each other. It's a yeah, meme. It's a, yeah. well, it's a meme now, but it comes from, yeah, an old 1960s uh, Spider-Man cartoon. To me, as much of a joke as that was, it opens up the door for so many other stories to be told and so many creative teams to put their put their stamp on it. Like, hey, I'd like to take a crack at Spider-Man Noir, or I'd like to see a Spider-Pig short, or I'd like to try this out with Spider-Gwen. And I think that we should invite that. We should be able to give people the breathing room to tell their own stories, which is why I think the the anthology films in the Star Wars universe have had that kind of potential because you can tell original stories without necessarily having to call back to your original property. And Spider-Man has enough of a history that you can explore that. Yeah. And I think this is really great in the direction that the world is trying to go. And with the film industry in general, trying to be more inclusive and more culturally, I can't think of another word other than inclusive, but to, Tell other stories that come from unique perspectives. Like, right. this is the year that we got Black Panther. There's a reason that it blew up. It's a good movie, but there's a reason that it goes beyond that and becomes a cultural force. Right. Miles is an African-American Hispanic character who is Spider-Man. Um, Spider-Gwen. You know, she's a girl, but she's Spider-Man. I have a friend of mine uh, who has a daughter. And she, since the age of two or three, she has been obsessed with Spider-Man. She has dressed as Spider-Man. She has been every single, you know, Halloween, she's Spider-Man. Like, she literally just goes out into town dressed as Spider-Man. She has loved him for years and years and years. And it's so cool that she could get Spider-Gwen to relate even more to. Right. Just from a from a femininity standpoint. Right, because there's aspects of a feminine demeanor that are going to be different than what a masculine demeanor is. And so getting to explore the way that these characters do the same crime fighting with the same abilities, but from completely different gender places or ethnicities, I think is really cool. And like I said, it's a, it's a playground. Yeah. And that's where the different directors can come into play and the different voices that we can have telling these stories. And the soundtrack's a great example of that. Like it really embeds you in this world of Miles Morales versus what you might think of the world of Peter. Like I, Peter Parker is listening to like, I don't know, Snow Patrol or something. He's not listening to the awesome hip hop music and the soundtrack that we have in this movie, which I much prefer. Exactly. And I think that that as an extension, not only having a creative director uh, with that kind of diversity, but having a creative sound, a, a diverse soundtrack, I mean, if we go to Spider-Man 2099, are we going to get futuristic? Are we going to get some Hispanic stuff? I mean, what's going to happen? I don't care. It's going to be awesome. And Spider-Verse invites us to celebrate diversity. And I'm not being political when I say that. I, I, I quite literally mean diversity is a good thing in the world of filmmaking. Not just having more female directors or more people of color on the big screen but we need more stories that come from different cultures. We need more stories that have a slant 
that is familiar, but that embeds itself in a different place. And Spider-Man as a cultural icon with Spider-Verse has created that opportunity to be able to give us cultural love from different parts of the world with this common ground of with great power comes great responsibility. And so I, I love the potential that Spider-Verse has in terms of cinematic storytelling, in terms of creative direction, in terms of musical diversity. It's just got so much that can be celebrated and enjoyed. And it's a family-friendly type thing. I think um, Renee Spencer was asking several of us, would you take your seven-year-old to see this? I think she has a nephew that she's trying to take. And um, it was great to hear Jeremy and Jeff and several other uh, you know friends of the show talk about, yes, this is fantastic. You should take this. And there are a couple of parts that might be a little scary, but I would, you know, for the most part, yeah, I would definitely uh, take your kid. I'm really considering taking Carson over the, the holiday break to, to this because I think he would have a blast. And I have to kind of recollect were there any parts that were pretty crazy, but I think outside of the semi-jarring nature of the animation, I think it was pretty tame. And again, that accessibility, family-friendly, yeah wide open audience yeah it's got great jokes um both gags with you know the anvil joke and then the joke where he says that's all folks and oh gosh and he says can you say that legally are, are you allowed you to know, say that? <laughs> great stuff like that and then also the the more subtle things like the fact that miles is doing a personal essay on the book great expectations mm-hmm. which i immediately was like oh man great expectations with great power comes great responsibility like that's a perfect tie-in right there so it's really woven together in a brilliant manner. I mean, and that's why not only us, but, you know, people all over are calling this, you know, the best animated film of the year. I mean, I absolutely agree. I think it's without necessarily, okay, I haven't seen Ralph Breaks the Internet, so I can't be fully objective with that. But it being my most anticipated movie of the year I'm just going to go ahead and say at this point, it is. It's the best animated feature of 2018. And um, I'm glad to see that there are more people that um, that are on board with that that idea. Well, if you don't have anything else, I don't. Let's lead right into our connecting point. And if you don't mind, I'm going to go ahead and kick us off. There were a lot of really great moments in the movie. I loved the introduction of all the different spider characters inside the vault or the cellar or whatever it was that that aunt may had uh had rigged up where we see all the different outfits and then we see the introduction of uh spider noir and spider pig and and all the rest of those guys and that was almost my connecting point because i think oh it's fantastic but shortly after that we get this really pivotal moment and it's uh, a moment that you alluded to earlier where we get the reveal of uncle Aaron being a bad guy chasing after Peter or after miles and then holding him on the roof and getting ready to drop him. And we see him take the mask off of miles and we see this pause and then we see him take his mask off and then we get the reveal that it's uncle Aaron. And I think along with him and along with miles, I felt this real sense of shock not only of that reveal, but also of thinking what has got to be going on in his head and in his heart. Like, what is he thinking? Because now he's a man that's really 
two people. You know, he has come to this point where he is now the duality of who he is has collided. He's holding this guy that he's supposed to kill, but this guy that he's supposed to kill is his nephew that he loves dearly. And there's this really great moment where he pulls back and then he's shot by Kingpin. Uh, there was a comment on social media where someone said that they were incredibly surprised at the abruptness of Kingpin shooting and killing Peter Parker, which I agree with. I thought that was a wow. And I love the fact that they don't show it. I mean, they don't show the actual shot. They, they You hear the shot, and I, I love that. It's kind of cool. And so when you hear the second shot with Uncle Aaron, you realize that's Kingpin. And it says so much about Kingpin himself and how far he's willing to go to accomplish what it is that he's trying to do. But then we see Aaron just falling back and Miles' face is just completely distraught. Like, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And it leads down to a scene just after where we see Miles taking Aaron to this alley and holding him and telling him, you know, trying to get him to, you know, it's going to be okay. And there's this really fantastic shot of Miles' dad where he sees Spider-Man from the back. And he's at that moment, I'm thinking, oh my gosh, is this how his origin story is going to be where he's going to be the enemy of his dad, even though like he's his son and I thought, wow, that's going to be an interesting twist. And I'm glad that it didn't happen that way. But I thought, what a great tease and what a great kind of, oh my gosh, is this how it's going to play out? And you don't get that a lot in some of your superhero stories. You get sort of the cliche type of narrative. And I felt like that whole sequence of Aaron's death leading to the potential of Miles' dad finding an enemy in his son without even knowing it was incredibly powerful. And even though it didn't play out that way to end the film, I thought it was really bold because it left me guessing. And that's something that movies don't do quite, quite honestly, especially superhero movies. I don't feel like I'm really getting stakes. You know, we talk about that on infinity war and why it was so impactful was because the stakes were, were there and they paid off. And I felt like, in a movie like this where we've seen Peter Parker die, oh wow, now we have the potential that this kind of story could play itself out. And so for for a little while, I was like, oh no, not that. Not your dad who loves you and you can't say I love you back. Um, and so for me, there was definitely an emotional connection to, to that whole sequence from Uncle Aaron being killed to the possibility that now Miles would eventually be alone because he wouldn't be able to have that relationship with his dad again. Yeah. It's interesting that you point that out as a possibility because I thought the same thing. So clearly that was what they were going for is to try and make a swerve and, and think for a brief moment that it was going to be his dad that went. And I think the problem with that would have definitely been that it puts the big traumatic event almost more so on the dad than it does on miles. Yes. It would have an impact on miles, but his dad's the one that would have just killed his own brother. You know, that's like, it's bigger to him. And that would have taken away a little bit from Miles's story. That's true. So I, I'm really glad. And frankly, because my connecting point is about Miles and his dad and their relationship. 
because outside of the whole Peter Parker, MJ marriage side plot, Miles's relationship with his dad is what I connected with the most. And so my connecting point is literally just after your scene. So good choice, Patrick. Uh, they tie together fairly well here. And it's, it's really, if I was going to narrow the connecting point down, it would be this brief bit of dialogue that really hits me in the feels. Of all the things that Miles has had to deal with, um, this relationship with his dad it is probably such a powerful thing for me because I have a teenage son myself. And so we have his Miles stuck inside of his room, unable to move after the fight he's just had with Peter Parker, and his dad comes to his dorm to check on him after Aaron's death. He hasn't been able to find Miles, of course, because Miles was running around the city uh, playing superhero. And up until now, his dad has been very hard on him. That's what we've seen. And not too hard, and not in a way that we feel like it's bad parenting, but in a way that it's firm, in a way that it is a parent who maybe doesn't want to, doesn't understand the distance and the, the, the leash he needs to give his son in order to let him grow into his own person. And I love that he's never portrayed that way as this, as this abusive or terrible parent. But he simply pushes his son to be responsible and embarrasses him when given the chance. And considering that my son went on his first date this weekend with five girls, believe me, I was tempted to, to pull this embarrassment thing myself. And thankfully, I had already seen Spider-Man. My son was going into it, and I chose. I chose not to be Miles' dad. But it's such a great depiction of a real father-son relationship. And so when he starts talking about not wanting to drift apart from Miles... It gets real for me, and he's standing outside that door talking to Miles, who can't respond, and he says, I see this spark. Whatever you choose to do with it, you'll be great. I love you. You don't have to say it back, though. Listen, this is good. This is so, so good. Every dad or parent reaches this point. Um, you know, We see a certain potential in our children, and we, we try our best in our own way to cultivate that. We all have designs on what a successful life might look like for them, but it's from our own perspective. And at some point we have to trust in the values that we've instilled inside of them and let them go their own way. And in this moment, he is making that very tough choice to let go of control right here with regards to his son. It's, also, not only a fun play on the opening scene where he forces his son to say, I love you back, but a really fantastic modeling of behavior in not setting that expectation. He knows that Miles loves him, too. It's really not something he questions, and he's letting Miles have the choice of when to express that and how to go about that. And I get caught up on this as a parent. I'm not going to lie. I do. Um, happens all the time, and it's, it's my own insecurity showing. You know, I want my kids to validate that they do indeed love me too. It doesn't mean that I don't know it already in my heart of heart. It, it feels good. It feels good when they come up and they, they hug me and say, I love you, dad. But just because they're preoccupied at some time when I drop them off for the weekend and I don't get an I love you as I'm walking out the door, it doesn't change the relationship that we have and the love that we have for each other just because it's not being expressed in that moment. And so this scene was just a wonderful reminder that I don't need to force them to do or say things. I just need to make sure that they know I'm there for them, that I trust them, that I support them, and that just like Miles' dad is for him, that 
I'm their biggest fan. And so for me, this was by far and away like the most powerful scene in the movie for me. I think it, it definitely is in terms of where it goes from there. I mean, everything about it is is really great. But I think that there's one thing that's great about the movie is these emotional scenes seem to kind of jump off of each other. So you've got Aaron's death that leads into that scene that leads into Peter Parker's conversation with Miles and him leaving. And by the way, I love the fact that everybody else is hanging outside the window waiting for Miles to just take that leap of faith. And then he finally does. Of course, they're already gone, but it really sets up the third act really well. And and it feels honest. It feels very genuine. It doesn't feel cheesy or hokey. It doesn't feel uh, contrived. Everything about that relationship and really about most of the relationships that are fleshed out, particularly Miles and Peter, Peter and uh, and MJ, you know, from, I guess, a one sided point of view and Miles and his dad and Miles and Aaron feels completely genuine. It doesn't feel like it's just trying to fill up space to get the the narrative moving forward. Everything feels very purposeful. And I believe that the creative team was purposeful and it, it shows in their in their final product. So yay, yay Spider-Verse and, and winner, winner chicken dinner for that. So yeah, I'm thrilled. I mean, we both are, you know, we say it every show, we are best friends. And so we care deeply that each other gets to experience their most, you know, their highest anticipated films. We want those to be knockouts for each other. And so, you know, when I saw it, and I knew how you'd react. It makes me happy. Yeah. Because I know that you're going to just have an absolute blast with it and your expectations are going to be met. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm so, so thrilled for yeah. you that you got what you wanted. Yeah. I am too. I am too. And I'm, I'm thrilled we get to talk about it like we always get to do each week. Hopefully this conversation will continue. There's a lot of conversation going on in our uh, Facebook group about this and a lot of other things. But if you want to talk to me specifically about any of that, you can find me on social media at Shoeless Patch, S-H-O-E-L-E-S-S-P-A-T-C-H on Facebook and Twitter. I would love, love, love to talk to you more about this movie. I'm going to basically just any comment about it. I'm just going to hit my love icon in Facebook. Just know that that's going to happen. It's going to be a rare thing that you'll just see anything less than that from me. Um, want to let you guys know that we're finishing out the year strong. We got this one that we just finished up. Mary Poppins Returns coming next week. And then Aquaman to finish out the year. Aaron, you've already seen it. I know that this is one that you could not contain yourself. And rightly so. Great stuff. It makes me excited to see it in like six weeks, it feels like. Because I missed the missed the boat on seeing the early screening. And so being in Arkansas, I have to wait with all the rest of the minions until it actually opens up in a couple of weeks. So excited about that based off of your reaction to say the least. Yes. Well, I definitely love that movie, so I can't wait to get to that. But yeah, Mary Poppins returns first and Christmas vacation as well. And an end of the year special. One of our favorite episodes that we do every single year. We have this great recap where it's, we release our top 10 lists, us and our contributors on our website and in our Facebook group specifically and across our social media platforms. So be sure and either join the Facebook group or follow us or I don't know, put up a, an alert so you know anytime something new is posted on the website and you'll get the top 10 lists toward the end of the year. But this special end of the year episode is a little bit different. We do it 
Um, we don't just go down a list of movies. Uh, we, we pick the best moments, the best episodes that we've covered, our favorite first-time watches, um, what, what we're looking forward to in the next year. It's a really awesome conversation. So I'm super stoked to be having that one with you here a couple days after Christmas. Uh, coming up man christmas is like right around the corner patrick it really is it's crazy well if you'd like to talk to me further listeners you can find me online uh, in that facebook group or on twitter at feeling film and i too will just in solidarity love every comment about spider-man how about that sounds great to me sounds great to me well guys that's all for us until next time stay positive and keep feeling film